Welcome to Thriving in Business and Life. I'm Christopher Harding. And I'm Will Wilkinson. Good to have you back with us. And so today, Chris, we're going to talk about inclusion. Yeah, this is a topic that's become increasingly uh, a passionate area for me with, with clients. I know it's, it's something you and I explore and talk about a lot. And today we're going to be including potentially the sound of landscaping <laughs> equipment. In we're going the... to be inclusive about the landscapers <laughs> next door. That's right. So, uh, you know, that, that'll give us a good chance to uh, hopefully demonstrate the principle here. Well, actually, it's a good point because you can't control everything. Yeah, And yeah. if the attitude is, I'm going to try and exclude as much as I can, live in a little cocoon of perfection, that's not going to always turn out well. <laughs> it's so true. Well, you know, one of the things we, we talk about this in, in, in our book in particular, and I think we mention it even in the course, is that inclusion as a practice in business really came about almost accidentally uh, due to the emphasis on diversity, where a lot of companies initially started trying to become more diverse as a way of complying with federal regulations. Right. And that compliance-based approach just really didn't work so well. People were, in some cases, begrudging. Sometimes the diverse candidates who got hired were viewed by others as being you know, a, a compliance-based hire. And so, uh, you know, they weren't really optimizing the talent of the people they were bringing in. They were just obeying the regulation. Yeah, and, and somewhere along the line, somebody got the brilliant idea that, that hey, why don't we figure out how to use the talent <laughs> of the people that we're hiring? Right. <laughs> and you could say, uh, in a way, the practice of inclusion was, was, uh, was born. Right. And it turned out, not surprisingly, uh, that diverse teams, especially in inclusive environments, consistently outperform homogeneous teams. Well, it's kind of like the idea of getting a bunch of specialists involved because you realize there are going to be special challenges and then not really using them. <laughs> so right, diversity right. is getting the specialists assembled. Inclusion is actually using them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you think about all of the different backgrounds, ideas, experiences, talents, skills, and so on that happens when you pull a diverse team together. And, you know, diversity could mean a variety of things. It could mean your cultural background. It could mean your ethnicity or race. It could mean your education level. It your age. Your age, exactly. Uh, your, you know, your your training and so on. And as, as organizations began to realize that diversity itself was far more diverse than they had originally <laughs> right. you know, conceived of, it, it bore out this whole idea that, if you think about it, is really at the heart of practices like Lean mm -hmm. and Six Sigma. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about the resistance to it uh, initially here. The idea being that it's easier to get things done with people who think like you do. And you know, in any group that's homogenous uh, and hasn't acknowledged the value and the need for diversity and inclusion, they'll often be that difficult person, the one who's different, who raises questions, who sees things differently, 
And in that mindset, this is a problem person. We want to get rid of them so we can get some work done. So that's kind of the old status quo relative to this, right? Well, yeah. So that difficult person would be uh, from a frame of reference that different is difficult. Yes. Right. And, and so a lot of times early on in the work with inclusion, what we would do with, with teams would say, let's look at the advantages of homogeneity. Mm-hmm. One of them is we can make decisions much more quickly. Right. It seems to be far easier because we think alike, etc. What are the disadvantages uh-huh. of, of homogeneity? Uh-huh. We don't thoroughly think through things yeah. as well as we could. Uh-huh. We make quick decisions that are maybe wrong, mm-hmm. right? And then you flip it. What are the advantages of diversity? Mm-hmm. You come up with more ideas and typically better think mm-hmm. through a process. The challenges are sometimes it takes longer. Well, this reminds me of something we do mention in our, our book and in our course, a cautionary note that because we're championing diversity, it doesn't mean automatically that you include everybody in everything. No. Because that can be the resistance to the idea that, oh, my God, we'll never get anything done because we'll be so bogged down in, you know, polling every single person from the janitor up <laughs> to the CEO. Right, right. And that's, that's usually, we kind of refer to that as the straw man argument where uh-huh. somebody sets up a kind of a ridiculous uh, version of inclusion. Mm-hmm. Inclusion needs to be strategic. Yeah. In, in other words, we start to ask questions, and we'll just go to a, a lean approach. Who Who's the ultimate customer? Mm-hmm. Who are the people who are going to have to interface with the customer? Who's going to be impacted by the decision? Who's going to have to implement it, mm-hmm. etc.? And you start looking at how do I create good representation from all of those different viewpoints? And intentionally start to get differing points of view so that that we're going to have we're basically mining the group intelligence that's the way i look at inclusion we've talked about that before well i've been curious to ask you you know given your deep background and your daily work with corporations how customary is it for clients of yours that they are asking questions because it always seems to me when you talk about this that you know, the nature of the questions is obviously important, but just the very act of inquiry, of not just charging ahead, but actually, you know, analyzing the situation and asking intelligent questions seems to be a tremendous asset. Well, it, it is, and it's it's interesting because uh, over, over the time I have different clients who are very inclined to ask questions mm-hmm. because they really... Uh, it's number one the way they think, but they also want to make sure they create a process mm-hmm. that is includes all of the possible ramifications. Right. Now, in some cultures, the need for speed or the quest for speed is so great mm-hmm. that those people who ask questions are looked at, at as obstacles. Yeah, they're slowing the process down. Right. Right. And, and you've said this before. Why is it that we have time to do things over three and four times, <laughs> but we don't have time to do it right the first time? Yeah. And I think that relates to the culture. You know, we talk about creating a thriving culture in our workplace and in our families. And one characteristic of a thriving culture we've referred to as perfect speed, where right. we're, we're neither rushing or dawdling. We're trying to find how to navigate at just the right speed. Yeah, and I think you know, perfect speed obviously is going to be different based on the situation, who's involved, what, whether it's short-term, long-term, what are the ramifications, and so on. Let's talk about the inclusion continuum. 
Well, yeah, I guess this gets back to what you were talking about. We're not talking about including everybody right. every time and trying to reach this false nirvana that sometimes we think of in Western culture of, as consensus. Yeah, and I think we should just note here that the goal is not to have a perfect process. You want to have a good process, but the goal is still to get the result you want. Well, yeah, the result is, is to have an effective outcome that if we're going to use, again, lean conversation, we're talking about that will continually improve yes. over time. Yeah. So we want to get the best solution we can come up with for now, having given it proper forethought and looking at it from a variety of angles. And the inclusion continuum basically just says that on... One end, if you pictured a, a horizontal line going from left to right, and on the left-hand side is sameness or homogeneity, mm -hmm. and our natural human tendency is to congregate around sameness, birds yeah, well, of a feather. Yeah, right? we, we see that at parties. You know, you'll go into a party and immediately huddle up with the three people you know. Right. Meanwhile, there's 60 other people who are strangers, and we just naturally tend to gravitate out of kind of a sense of security. Right, and, and comfort, right? And so, so what the inclusion continuum looks at, on the other end of the scale, the right-hand side, you could say, would be ultimate difference. Yes. And so what the inclusion continuum you know, poses is, have I gotten good representation out along that spectrum that's, that's you know, deep enough or thorough enough to where people actually can can have provided their input. I, I gave an example a couple of weeks ago on, on one of our podcasts about a leader in Puerto Rico who, when asked what his opinion was, wanted to go back and ask his people mm -hmm. and was initially criticized yes, for that as a yes. sign of weak leadership, yeah. when to him what he was trying to do is make sure he really understood all the different perspectives yeah. on it. Well, how important is it when a company is, say, beginning to experiment with, you know, leveraging diversity into inclusion to really make it effective, to have goals and to be kind of focused on making sure to get a result? I'm not talking about short-circuiting the process, but I could see where just in the flush of the newness, experimenting with something, it could lead into frustration if there wasn't some kind of focus on, on results. Well, absolutely. So uh, I think... The, again, it's an unconscious straw man argument that people will pose. Well, I don't have time for this. or if, yeah. if we spend all of our time asking everyone, we'll never get the job done. So it really comes down to a both and. Mm -hmm. You know, how do we strategically create an inclusive process that also gets results in a time effective manner? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, once people start to let go of the divisiveness of either or uh, and go with both and, there's a realization that, oh, we can actually do inclusion and be effective and get the right. job done. Well, back to the inclusion continuum here for a moment, picturing it with on the left side, sameness, on the right side, more extreme differences. How does a person use this? So, for example, I'll, I may have shared in, in a program, but I, I think we talk about it in our course as well, of a situation uh, with a, a silicon wafer uh, manufacturer that was a client. And they had some problems in their manufacturing line where they were overbaking the wafers. 
And in their mind, they had asked all the right people who happened to be down closer on the same end. They were yeah. people they knew. They were people they related to. And all the experts. Yeah, the, you know, and, and some wise decisions. They included the supervisor of the night shift where it was happening. They included their chief engineer. They included what they thought was their A-team. They were trying to be inclusive, but they hadn't gone far enough out on that continuum in their mind to include somebody like the guy who was on maintenance that night. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so, you know, as it turned out, he was the person who recognized what the potential problem was. Right, but as you told the story, if I remember correctly, the idea of including him wasn't met with immediate rejoicing. No, as a matter of fact, they were $600,000 into wasted materials before they finally got to that point. So that what they did was they instituted a practice that encouraged them to if you will, use the inclusion continuum. It was, do we have enough diversity in the room to discuss what we're about to discuss yes. intelligently? Right. Who else do we need to include to make sure that we understand all of the perspectives and ramifications? And they would. that was the first thing on the agenda in their meetings from that point forward. And they would repopulate meetings as need be to make sure that they weren't going to have that kind of a situation happen again. So that's a very simple practice, uh, you know. And an, another one we've talked about, a bias monitor, somebody who yes, right. is in the room listening for somebody maybe who gets shut down. Yeah. Uh, they offer an idea and it either gets ignored or shut down, and the person goes, hey, wait a minute, they said something. Let's really thoroughly listen to what they said. Yeah. Well, I know you've extolled the uh, benefits of inclusion for creating more solid buy-in, and I can certainly see that on the part of those who've been excluded. Now they're being heard, they're being seen. What's the effect on those who you know, are usually the only ones who are being seen? <laughs> well, I think sometimes if, if we happen to be in the group that was always uh, you know, listened to and, and we were the go-to people, it might feel a little bit challenging. Right. Uh, maybe threatening, I don't know, yeah. that, that suddenly other people are starting to be invited into the mix to show their brilliance. But I think over time, if we're really focused on what is the best solution, mm -hmm. then we start to learn how to listen better, mm -hmm. to ask better questions. And ultimately, uh, if, if the leader or people in the room who are helping facilitate that process with each other, over time, they start to just hugely appreciate yes. the value of diversity because they see that they're actually facilitating the genius of their of their people much much better so it's like any change you need to learn it and practice it and get through the initial rough period right. of adjustment and learning and perfecting to get to the results that convince you that it's worth doing it a new way right and and to be aware of the tendency to have um you know, set things up to fail. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the big challenges was uh, with with diversity was somebody who'd come in who was maybe very different from what the cultural norm had been in the company. They would be brought in, put into a position, and provided absolutely no support. Yeah, right. And then they would inevitably fail, which was the self-fulfilling prophecy yeah. of, see, this is what happens yeah. when you're forced to hire people you yeah. don't normally hire. Right. I was right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the need to be right superseded the willingness to actually set it up for a win. Well, let's talk about the inclusion inventory, which is a fascinating term. And, you know, you introduced this term to me, and I immediately thought back to my days running a couple of retail food food stores up in Canada. 
And I remember the first time, I, I was in my 20s, and I remember the first time I did an inventory. Actually, it was the second time I did an inventory and had the first marker and could right. see what had happened over you know a one-month period. I still remember that to this day because it was so illuminating to, number one, know what was on the shelves. Right. Because some of the stuff had been there for years, we had discovered. And number two, to learn what was moving at what speed and what wasn't. And knowing the inventory, knowing how it was moving, allowed us to stock the shelves better. So I don't know if this is a corollary to the inclusion uh, inventory, but I'm just curious about the effect over time of you know taking an inventory of just how inclusive we're being. Well, a lot of organizations are doing that, and they're looking. They're starting to look at diversity, or you could say inventory, in in broader ways. They're looking at their boards, for example, their board of directors. They're looking at their leadership levels. They're looking at you know different sectors of the company and starting to ask questions. Uh, do we have too much sameness? Do we uh -huh. have too much homogeneity? Uh -huh. One of our clients basically said they they no longer trust homogeneity. Because well, now that's quite a statement. Yeah, and, and what it is is it's the realization of the, you could say the hypnotic power of uh, of you you could say group think. Yes. If we've got everybody thinking the same, yeah. then you know we're going to be blind. Well, we we seduce each other to thinking we're brilliant. <laughs> right, yeah. You know, self-congratulatory. Aren't we great? <laughs> well, and that, that showed up in, in the research that's been done by MIT and, and UCLA and other, other colleges where they studied diverse teams and found that homogeneous teams were far more convinced of their effectiveness mm -hmm. because of groupthink and because of the speed at which they reached decisions, even though they were significantly less accurate yeah. Uh, in terms of their work and their isn't, outcomes. Isn't that interesting? Well, this is a bit of a crude example, but it reminds me of uh, interbreeding in royal families, <laughs> where you have the elitist attitude, we're the greatest, but you know, interbreeding is not a good idea. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, it's interesting if you think about that from a, a thinking standpoint. If we all start being convinced that, that we're brilliant and that any challenge to our thinking is wrong, mm -hmm. we're ine inevitably setting ourselves up for a rude awakening at right. some point. Well, I know that one way I've used to combat my tendency to be exclusive and you know discount a divergent view is to just use a little mantra, that sounds interesting. You know, where I'm confronted with something very different from what I'm thinking, to just go, oh, that's interesting. Well, and you can follow that up with tell me more about that. Well, that's what I usually do, yeah. start asking questions. And actually, um, being curious is very youthing. They say that as people get older, they get set in their ways. I know a lot of really aged people, 80, 85, 90, who are very youthful because they're just curious about things. They're not just set in their very limited ways. Now, I, I just want to call awareness for me to a word that you either made up or is a word I haven't heard before, but I like it, youthing as opposed to aging. Yeah, yeah, it's a great term. So we, you know, we acknowledge aging, but what about youthing? That, and, and this it can be done physically where, you know, you can get a, a test that determines your biological age. So you may be 50, but your biological age may be 60 because you haven't taken care of yourself. Then if you go on a healthy regime, you can actually youth yourself and take your biological age back down to your actual uh, physiological age or even lower. 
That's interesting. Well, so let's let's take a turn here onto something that I know both you and I are are kind of intrigued by. We refer to it in the book as is inclusion having to do with the L word, oh. and and what we're talking about is is love, right. and and when this topic was maybe brought up, let's say ten, fifteen years ago, if you talked about love in a corporate environment, people would like look at you, you know, with a weird view and mm -hmm. think you'd gone soft on them. Mm -hmm. But research has shown that if people are in an environment where they feel valued, respected, um, loved, and appreciated, mm -hmm. their brain and whole physiology actually functions at a higher level. Well, absolutely. And there's two aspects that are deeply interlinked here. One is love in terms of loving what we're doing. And we all have that experience. And the other is the love we feel with each other. So if we're in a loving environment where we feel that there's love happening, we will be more inclined to jump in and feel passionate, get engaged, and actually love and enjoy what we're doing. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that, that they you know, have shown in, in some of the studies. Uh, we recite some of those studies in the, in the book. I think it was Barbara Fredrickson, if I remember correctly. She was a, a psychologist that wrote about this in a book called Love 2.0. And she talked about how performance actually increased, mm -hmm. and you, you used the word, uh, you know, jumped in or, or engaged, that people became more fully engaged, mm -hmm. were far more willing to volunteer their best, yeah. and move beyond a compliance into, into full engagement if they felt loved and appreciated. Well, there's kind of a fractal corollary here to the whole principle of inclusion that kind of shows up in the statement, we're all in this together. Right. You know, that feeling of being on a team and you're all focused on the same result. Well, the fractal on the lower end is that all parts of me are welcome. All of me is welcome in this endeavor. In other words, I'm being seen and included even though I've got some quirky aspects. All of me is included, so we're all in this together. Right. Well, that's an interesting way of saying that. I haven't heard it said quite that way before. I think I just made it up. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> Remember that one. <laughs> there, it, it reminded me of a phenomenon called stereotype threat. Oh, well, I haven't heard of that one. So what that means is is if, if I know that people like me, let's say, as uh, like by like me I mean as seen by others, are viewed in a certain less than favorable way, like a, a certain characteristic, like I'm left-handed, for example. Mm -hmm. Let's say that somebody made up the, the story that left-handed people are going to be difficult. Mm -hmm. The stereotype, that's the threat. I'm going to be right. seen as difficult right, right. because of something yep. innate about me. Yeah. So while I'm with people, I will do what's called covering. I'll pretend to be right-handed. Now, or, is that unconscious, or are you conscious of doing that? It's usually both, yeah. but a lot of it is is just is conscious or just below the level of consciousness. So you're so, trying to fit in and not be a threat. I'm trying to, yeah, I'm trying to fit in. And what happens if I don't have that inclusive environment where people are welcome to just show up and be themselves? You know, I mean, again, let's eliminate the straw man arguments. No, we're not talking about that they can be rude or right, right. violent or whatever. We're talking about within the realm of, of the corporate ethics and standards. If somebody can show up, and as long as they're not outside of that, mm -hmm. and, they're a, and they're game on creating the results together, then everything else about them is welcome, right? 
and, well, you, and you, viewed as, as valuable. You know, as you're saying this, I'm just uh, musing about the very real possibility that in many instances, most people are covering in one way or another a lot of the time. I think so. And, yeah. and what, they've, what they've found is if, if you're covering some significant parts of who you are, so I'll give a, an example. Uh, somebody comes in, let's say, from another culture or a different racial background, and without knowing it, in order to try to survive the experience, they start acting more like the group. Yeah, they, they start. Right. Well, what happens is now if you can do that adaptively, in other words, you add that to your repertoire mm -hmm. and you're not hiding who you are. You're not shutting mm -hmm. parts of yourself off. You could say I've become culturally adaptive. Mm -hmm. Right. On the other hand, if I'm having to le literally leave behind those parts of who I am or pretend they're not there, the brain actually starts to function more in survival mode, yes. and I don't have access to my full intelligence and capability. So imagine that you got hired and had to go in in order to survive and pretend to be somebody other than you. You are inevitably not going to be at your best and will almost prove out the the belief about you that you weren't as fit for the job or the culture and part of that is because we've made you feel unwelcome yes. and have to pretend to be who you're not and we know where this leads uh, one of your f favorite terms the amygdala hijack right we're under pressure the primal stuff takes over forget about thriving this is about surviving right and so the brain just goes wonky and suddenly we're like primitive well, and, and people become, you know, temporarily less intelligent because mm -hmm. they don't have access to their higher brain functions. I've coached people through this and the realization that, oh my gosh, I'm not functioning at my best because I'm trying to fit in to be like the way people want me to be, and that's not me at my best. Let's talk a little bit about employee satisfaction, retention. This is a big issue these days. You know, you can attract talent, but can you keep it? And inclusion we're proposing, and you see this in the companies you work with, is a big factor in keeping employees happy. Well, yeah. So if you look at, if you think about that whole cycle, the first thing is you're going to try to attract the top talent. Right. And if your version of top talent is only this narrow slice of people like you, mm. first of all, you're not, you're, you've narrowed your search down artificially. Next thing that's going to happen, you, you try to attract them. Now you try to actually acquire their services. You're going to hire them, in other words. So for them to come into the organization, they, they hopefully are going to believe that who they are can show up and thrive. Yes. Now they're in the company. The next thing you want to do is develop and promote them. And I don't necessarily mean elevate their position. I mean you talk about what they do that's great. Mm -hmm. You catch them doing it right and publicize mm -hmm. that. Right. We tend to do that more naturally for people that we have a, a close affinity with. Mm -hmm. So if I were to hire somebody like me, it's very easy for me yeah. to promote and talk about sure. how awesome they are. You're doing great. You're doing it just like I would. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Keep or, it up. <laughs> or as somebody who comes in and has a very different style, uh -huh. different approach, different background, I don't have that natural affinity, I don't start to both promote that, nor do I develop them and give them the coaching and the subtle mentoring that I have the natural affinity for towards somebody like me. So in the long run, what happens, unless I'm conscious of it, 
I will unintentionally give favoritism to somebody like me and unintentionally leave somebody out of that loop and as a result they feel like you know they're left out and will go look for some place where they are a better fit and this same principle applies to customers absolutely you know, the best salesmen uh, they know that everybody is a customer and it's just the way they approach them that determines whether they're going to want to buy or not yeah. I, i'm remembering a story i think I, I wrote about it in the book way way back when uh, couple of shoe salesmen went over to Africa. Right. And one of them right. wired back and said, I'm returning home immediately. No customers here. Nobody wears shoes. And meanwhile, another part of Africa, his partner wrote, wired back and said, great market here. Send samples of everything. Lots of customers. Nobody wears shoes. <laughs> I think right. that's a great example of including, in this case, customers, diverse. No shoes. Right. I'm selling what? shoes. Does this mean they don't want shoes or that they all need shoes? Well, what was the opportunity, right? Yeah, yeah I, I had a I had a woman uh, salesperson who, uh, you know, demonstrated that really wonderfully the other day in that she was able to see opportunity mm. uh, in places where other people thought there was no chance. Yeah. So, you know, to sum it up, I guess what we're saying is look to mine the genius of the people you're with. Mm. What a great term. And I mean, that is predicated on the uh, concept that there's genius there to mind. Right. And one of the best ways to do that is to include people and to have them feel loved and accepted and valued. There's the L word again. That's right. I think we're legitimizing it. <laughs> All right. Well, if you have your own stories or questions, you can write us at thrivinginbusinessandlife at gmail.com. I'm Christopher Harding. And I'm Will Wilkinson. Always a pleasure to talk with you. We'll see you again next week.